This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. I know, I know, folks. It's a bad habit of ours. Welcome back to the program. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Muthan over there at the Toronto studio. I'm talking about the habit of continuing great conversations, great content, lots of information. I can go on and on, but that's boasting then if you do that. that then, then you become a show-off, right? Uh, always having so much fun on the program. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. Uh, 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio, repeated on both networks at 10 p.m. Eastern time. However you're enjoying the show, folks, we appreciate it. We'll tell you a little later on how to check out the Kelly and Rumbia podcast. We hope that you do, and check the show out at your leisure. On uh, Mondays, we welcome in Danielle McLaughlin for Know Your Rights. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Interesting conversation ahead, ladies and gentlemen. Danielle, we welcome you back to the show. You have a great guest with us, and it's something that means so much to each of us and is very, I I feel, individual. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Lovely to to speak with you again, Kelly and Ramia. And I'm very pleased that today we have a special guest with us. Professor Ron Buling teaches at the University of Toronto, Mississauga in the Department of Geography, Geomatics and the Environment. And Ron specializes in disability studies. Welcome to Kelly and Ramia, Ron. Uh, Thanks very much, Danielle. It's really a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's a g- great pleasure. I have to, before we start asking you all the many questions I, I have thought of, how did you get into this area of study? Well, um, <clears throat> that's a that's a fantastic question and a great way to start. Um, you know, uh, I, I, my research um, has uh, for a long time focused on the experiences of children and youth in cities. Um, and I've, I've always been concerned with uh, questions of uh, equity, uh, access to uh, experience and so on. Um, uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my youngest child was born with a degenerative neuromuscular disease. And um, that kind of um, um, changed the way that I look at cities. And, you know, this is kind of a common experience that I think some folks have. I I also have my own um, uh, personal issues happening with some acquired stuff. And, um, you know, we could go on and and talk about disability identity and um, uh, acquired disability and and other things. But, um, I mean, that's, to make a long story short, that's sort of what really uh, got me motivated to, to really turn my attention exclusively to looking at sort of disability in the city. Well, it's such an important issue, uh, particularly for our audience. But, you know, as my my friends at Kelly and Ramia know, I always refer to myself as a tab, a temporarily able-bodied person. So right. I think that it's important for every one of us. Um, I recently read an article, and that was the reason that I contacted you, that you had written in the journal The Conversation. And it was regarding the so-called 15-minute city can you explain right. what that is and, and what you think of the concept? 
Sure. Um, if if I could just sort of go back to your your first question just really briefly, I think it's really important that I also note that you know I, I I'm I'm not a proxy for my my daughter's experience. No. Um, I I come to this conversation as as the parent of a disabled child, um, and and I think that's that's really important. Um, the the fifteen minute city, well, you know, it basically is. Uh, uh, the idea of building uh, neighborhoods and cities in such a way that everything, not everything, but the essential things that you need on a daily basis are accessible within 15 minutes uh, by foot or by bicycle. And um, what concerned me was going back and reading the original uh, text on the 15-minute city was that the, 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 the uh, um, work doesn't include the word disability at all. Um, and, and I know that's a problem. <laughs> I know that, uh, if we're not talking about disability at the very start, we're very likely to get it wrong when we start building anything. Um, and disability is not likely to be represented well in the end. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think that, that, uh, that's, that's something that many people have experienced that, that add on. And also the fact that people with disabilities have been left out of, you know, 15 minutes for whom? Um, and it's a big question. Now, I understand that your article in which you uh, were critical of that concept of the 15-minute city, that you, you received some negative feedback. Can you tell us a little about what, what happened? Well, you know, you know, I'm okay with that. I, I kind of view it as, as useful feedback. I think that, that if, it, if it touched a nerve, uh, good, so be it. A nerve needed to be touched. Um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of these uh, sort of what I call the N-minute city concepts floating around. And what I'm trying to do is insert uh, disability into the center of that conversation about city building for uh, uh, climate change, uh, adaptation, resilience, and so on. Um, and so, you know, what sort of happened, and this can sometimes happen, is people have a you know foregone conclusion about a concept, and so they want to get their uh, their points out there, and that and that's totally fine. Um, you know, some folks were arguing against things that I didn't even say. Um, I, <laughs> well, I that happens no a lot on social media, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem with the idea of compact cities. I've been studying cities for for decades now, and I know that like having things close at hand isn't a terrible idea. But what's the point of having something close at hand if you can't even get in the door, right? Um, and uh, I, I think one of the other things that I appreciated from the folks that were commenting was the and and um, is is the ways in which the embodied and uh, embodied experience of disability and the politics of disability are very diverse, right? So, like something that works for one person may not work for another person. Mm -hmm. um, just like everyone else, uh, uh, the the um, there's a lot of uh, range and scope in how folks are reacting to this concept. Um, yeah, and I think uh, did no, you have but, people who actually dislike the idea of including people with disabilities in a city's design? Well, I think they kind of missed the point, really. I mean, the the fact is, we have we there's been a lot of progress in terms of uh, disability civil rights legislation. You know, we we can come up with a long list in the U.S. and Canada in particular. Um, there's been a lot of progress in Ontario with um, with the uh, creating a framework to possibly create more accessible cities and more accessible transportation systems. But even, even then, when, we, when we're when we compliant with these things, they, the outcome doesn't work for everyone. The 
definition of disability is too narrow. The, the interventions um, are, are not necessarily implemented in, in, a, in, a, in a timely uh, fashion. And so I think part of the issue is that uh, there are folks who kind of think the work is done. Yeah. Like the ADA is there, AOTA is there. What's left to do? Well, there's a lot left to do. <laughs> and Absolutely. You know, I, I have a laundry list of examples of where things have gone horribly wrong or completely stalled. Yeah, so. well, we recently uh, spoke with David Lepofsky, uh on, on this show and our Know Your Right segment, and he certainly, I think, agrees with you that that things uh, really need need, need work, um, and also just getting the reports on them is is difficult enough. You know, mm-hmm. people who um, aren't themselves disabled or don't live with somebody with a disability often think that the mobility of people with disabilities is a them problem. Why is it really an us problem? Well, I, let me just start by um, addressing the the use of the word problem and disability in the same sentence, right? Um, ah. Because this is a, a, a you know, let, let's just clarify what we're talking about here. We're not, we're not saying that a disabled person is a problem. We're not saying that disability is a problem no. uh, to be solved through some technical or s- solution or what, what have you. I mean, disability is very much a part of uh, one's one's identity. Um, there's also like a lot of range in terms of how people identify. Um, there's the, the language conversation around person first and identity first language. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, us versus them. Well, I think about this in, in, in many, many different ways. Um, if we, if we, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking about is, well, the, well, the, to use your language of the question, well, the us can become them, right? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about, uh, as we age, um, people who, uh, acquire a particular injury and so on. So what, you know, I've been spending a lot of time reading, uh, biographies of disability activists and looking at the history of disability activism. And, you know, you do see this relatively consistent, um, conversation or, um, observation by folks who uh, had an acquired injury, which kind of placed them in the disability community, talking about, well, you know, I didn't really think about disability until something happened to me. I didn't really think about it until something happened to me or something happened to a family member. You know, my way of thinking, and you know, and and and, and I, you know, count myself among those folks, and and I'm like, well, you know, no matter how you get in, into the community or uh, how you get to be uh, sort of um, an advocate within the community, um, it, in some ways, is immaterial. We need we need as many people as we can get. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, and and thinking about us versus them. Well, look, uh, um, we're all included in things like charter rights, the Canadian Human Rights Code, the Ontario Human Rights Code, um, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, that that we're all in this together. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about it, cause it's a really interesting question. Um, uh, you know, of course there's the conversation about universal design and, mm. and there is a critical discourse about universal design. The idea of designing d- disabled identity out of spaces is, is, is also troubling. Um, but, uh, the general public discourse on this is, is, is that if you design for disability, there are spillovers to everyone. Right. So if we make a place work for my daughter in her power wheelchair, then then someone using any number of the wheeled devices that we use to shuttle kids around uh, will also benefit. Right. 
Um, kneeling buses are great for people with strollers and so on and so forth. But that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because it's the law, because it's the right thing to do. And we need to be making our uh, cities um, accessible. It, it also occurred to me that, you know, as, as someone who, you know, if you're paying uh, municipal property tax, where do you want your dollars to go? Do you want your dollars to go towards um, obsolete, inaccessible infrastructure? Or do you want your dollars to go into future forward accessible infrastructure? Um, you know, the future is accessible. Uh, that's where we need to be making our investments and so on. Um, yeah. But what do we so, do about the fact that we've got some, you know, old built environments that are not accessible? And then when um, governments or institutions try to add on to that built environment in order to make it more accessible, they don't do a very good job. Uh, you know, they they might make it accessible for one group of people and inaccessible for for a different group, you know. How can we address this sort of a problem? And this is what I meant when I said problem, not the people, but, yeah. but the institutions and the environments. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I understood what you meant by, by problem, and I, I wasn't um, um, taking on your no, conceptual. No, I, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we should just clear the air on that, on that one. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, look, I mean, an older building, let's look at an older building. There are a few things, different things that can happen. And this is very common in, in big institutions like the university, mm -hmm. where you, you add a, a significant modern addition onto an existing uh, historical property. Um, of course, all of that um, space, if it meets a particular requirement in terms of the sort of an intensity and the scope of the project, needs to be compliant with, and we're talking about Ontario here, so I'm just going to focus on Ontario, needs to comply with the barrier-free uh, access uh, standards in the Ontario Building Code, uh, Section 3.8, and accessibility is elsewhere in the Building Code, but also the Integrated Accessibility Standard Regulation, which is derived from AOTA, and so on and so forth. So what you get is compliance, minimum compliance, with a particularly narrow definition of dis disability. Um, you know, mm -hmm. David Otley, in, 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 uh, he did a five-year uh, review uh, the, sorry, he did a review of AOTA. One of the things they're talking about is like broadening the scope of the definition of disability. And, and you know, that could help if you see a, a trickle down into um, uh, requirements. Um, the other thing that could happen is, is what, you know, what do you do with the old space, right? Yeah. Um, we have to wait around for disabled people to form a coalition to file a human rights complaint in order to have access to a public institution. Well, sadly, it would appear that, you know, more often than not, that happens to be the case, particularly when we're looking at urban transportation um, <laughs> and the buildings that that uh, serve urban transportation systems. Um, so that it, you know, older buildings, like our cities are old, we have aging infrastructure, it makes retrofit necessary. And unfortunately, the contemporary legislation around accessibility isn't, isn't, uh, exceptionally good at dealing with the retrofit problem. Um, and then you run up with, you know, the, there's the heritage argument, right. historically, historically significant buildings and so on. But honestly, you know, Hart House, uh, uh, Gothic architecture at U of T, they, they, have a, they have a ramp to get in the building. Um, it, it doesn't take away from the um, aesthetic, historical aesthetic properties of the place. Uh, 
we know what to do. There are really smart people in uh, the design space who can who can work towards make making buildings work for more people, particularly older. Well, buildings. listen, I I think that that's really important, and I think getting the the whole issue of ableism out of the uh, the, the structural design would be another conversation that we can have in in the future. At the moment, I'm sorry that we're out of time, but I really appreciate your joining us today. No, it was, a, it was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. That was Professor Ron Euling of the Department of Geography, Geomatics and Environment at the University of Toronto, speaking with us today about disability and our cities. And making us realize, Danielle, how we just all need to be part of that community that at some point or another, as we've heard, we will be. So uh, really engaging conversation, one I was looking forward to. Thanks so much, Kelly. We will we will march on and hear from as many voices on this as we can. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. And thank Ron. Really wonderful segment. If you missed it, folks, check it out. Subscribe via the podcast, and you can enjoy it there. You can listen to the segment or the complete podcast experience. Rummy and I will step aside for a couple of minutes. When we return, let's see what's going on on the program now with Dave Brown. You can find that on AMI-TV at 9 a.m. in the morning. We'll tell you a little bit about our show and give you an interesting closing moment. Hint to you, the hint, run, Rudolph, run. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.